Welcome to the Kinjas Podcast. Here we will discuss dance, life, and whatever the f we want. Folks, today we have Dan Matthews in the pod. I've talked to Dan in the past, never really got into his adoptee story fully. I've heard uh, snippets of it. And there's a whole documentary that he talks about that he created back in 2014. But in this episode, I think the conversation kind of went to a place where we asked a lot of questions that are a little bit more personal. Straight up, this is one of the most wild and incredible stories that I think we've ever had on this pod. To be honest, I was like not breathing, (laughs) you know, like straight edge of your seat, kind of like, whoa, the whole time. But at the same time, like just reflecting on really what even we discussed, it's like, this is such a powerful human experience that I think me and you are just uh, constantly asking these really, it felt like the questions were simple, but it felt so deep and so complex yeah. for like a human to have to process those things. So um, for anybody who's out there who is an adoptee or knows adoptees or is just trying to like learn more about the human experience, I think that this is an incredible and powerful episode. Yep. Can't wait for y'all to listen up. So let's get right into it. Folks, welcome back or welcome to Kinja's Movement in the Shadows. We are your hosts, Ben and Anthony. And we got a homie in the pod today. We have rapper, creative producer, and managing partner at International Secret Agents and Korean adoptee in 2014. His documentary series, aka Dan, documented his journey of being reunited with his biological family in Korea. He was featured in NBC Asian America's docuseries, a.k.a. Soul. We have Dan Matthews in the pod. Bam, 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 bam. What's going on? That's a very nice history that you hey, looked I, up. I, do I didn't send I you that bio. Either. <laughs> that you looked up. Yeah. Of course. You know, I was thinking today, I was like, man, pre-internet, things like podcasts would be pretty much impossible. Well, one, it's on the internet. But like True. researching somebody's story would be a lot harder to Forget do. Forget stories. Remember just like having to pull out a map book? Yes. Actually, I feel like though that if you didn't have that pre-podcast, that like it'd be better for the conversation because then you can Very really true. like get to Ask know the real person. questions, right? And then yeah. you wouldn't go in with expectations on like, okay, Very we true. know that this person does it. You can be more surprised. Yeah. Just imagine i don't know anything about you okay because i i honestly yeah i've never gotten a chance to sit down and actually intimately have a conversation with you that's very true you know and I mean? yeah. and the uh, the podcast conversation allows a lot of stuff to come totally, out so totally. i'm yeah. excited about this yeah well we like to start with origins man give us the the dan matthews origin story the uh, the short story about myself is i am a korean adoptee that's a big part of my identity i was raised in southern california ventura camarillo area I grew up there. My parents are white. My mom's German. My dad's Irish, American, whatever mm-hmm. white people are. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and <Yeah>. then <laughs> I was raised uh, when I was eight months old. I came out from Korea. I'm a South Korean adoptee. I was actually able to meet my biological family. And so that's a big part of my story. Yeah. I met them in 2013. I went back to Korea. And through my agency, I was able to, I was able to be reunited with them. And I found out that not only was my biological family still alive, but they were still together and that I had a uh, twin brother that I never knew about. Yeah, so that's crazy. Yeah, it was really <laughs> amazing for me to be able to like hear that because not only 
is it usually impossible for like you just to meet your biological family? Mm-hmm. But then to find out that about my story and then to get to know them closer over the last, I guess, almost 10 years has been pretty amazing for me. See, I already knew that and you still saying it, it's still a blow up to me right <laughs> yeah. now. Yeah. That's how crazy that is. Yeah. I say it really nonchalantly too. Like, oh yeah, I just met my twin. Right. But it, I agree. Like it is kind of an amazing thing and it's something that I need to like reflect on a lot more because yeah. right now it's just a part of my life. I'm like, oh, okay, I just got to... A twin that I just met. Well, I'd like to get into that if if you're willing to go back to even you researching in 2013. And there had to have been a lot to kind of build up within you to be like, I need to Mm -hmm. figure out a part of my life that obviously you hadn't known for the good majority of your childhood. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, what was that journey like for you, even on like an emotional level? I'm sure there was a lot of questions about like, yeah, I'm clearly not these are not my clear but biological Mm -hmm. parents and there's all kinds of wonderings of who they are are they still alive Mm -hmm. why it all happened Mm -hmm. how it all happened you know so what was that process of kind of getting to that point of even like wanting to reach out every adoption story is unique i think that like even we with korean adoptees and other asian adoptees domestic adoption everybody comes from a unique situation so i i want to be clear that like when i talk about mine it's, it's my own story and that what i experienced is very different than what other people experience other people go through a lot of traumatic situations and i consider myself to be very lucky that i was raised in a situation where my my parents were very uh, they were loving it was like just a regular american family i didn't have a lot of Uh, traumatic things that happened to me when I was younger, which is pretty unique. And I'm very happy and and grateful for what I've been able to go through, which again is very different than a lot of other adoptees, what they have to go through. And I acknowledge that and they have to go through from a lot of things that I hear. They go through a lot of different situations that I uh, I, I have no idea how I would react to it. So uh, that's where I come from. But growing up, I just, it's Southern California, it's Ventura. And that even though I was I had like Asian people around me, but it wasn't like a lot of Asian people. I think that like it didn't really influence me or I didn't think about my identity stuff until I was in junior high where like I think a lot of people start thinking more about who they are and their backgrounds and you just go through puberty and you're like, okay, I guess I'm I'm different than other people. And so you start thinking about it. It never really became a thing that I was seeking out for like more adoption or like to find out more about my story until I got into college. And uh, I think that's just because like you're basically – when you are raised, you just figure you're never going to meet your biological family. Like that's just like so far removed from like anything that you could be able to experience. So at, I think I think I just got really lucky. At, at that point, had you asked your adoptive parents about your biological parents, or like was there a point, or, or at what age did you kind of start piquing that curiosity where yeah. it actually turned into questions? Like when I was younger, I'm sure I brought it up, and I think that there were like weird things that would trigger me. Like when I watched the jungle book, like I think that probably triggered me because you (laughs) see like Mowgli go back with like the people that he's actually with and not with the animals. And you're like, okay, that's like kind of an adoption story. All Disney movies are like basically Mm. adoption stories. (laughs) All Disney movies are triggering. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I think that I probably like brought it up when I was confused when I was a kid. And were your adoptive parents supportive of your curiosity to yeah. go research and figure that out? Yeah, that was yeah. also another unique thing is that uh, sometimes, obviously and understandably, that your uh, your parents, your adoption, adoptive parents probably aren't going to be super comfortable with you meeting your biological family because they're like, what does that mean for us? Like, it's just mm-hmm. a very complicated sure, thing. Yeah. totally. So I actually didn't tell them in, uh, when I was doing the search just because I didn't want to – 
go through that if I didn't have to. If Whoa. I never made connection, then I would never have to, I think, really have to face that situation with my adoptive, my, my parents. I'm just going to mm-hmm. say my parents. Yeah, yeah, yeah. After I was able to make a connection, then I told them that this has all happened. And then we started talking about it a little bit more. And I always just kind of knew that my mom would be very supportive of it. My father passed away 10 years ago. And so he was never a part of that situation. And I never had to really, I think, talk about it with him. But other family members around me were obviously curious. I had to talk about it with aunts and uncles. And it was something that we all had to like kind of go through once it Mm. it became more reality. Where does one just like we're talking about somebody just (laughs) pick up a phone book and start looking at my last, you know what I mean? (laughs) It's probably different now, which is why if there's any adoptees that are listening right now, like I think what I went through just because it's been a long time and technology is different. So it's probably different, but you basically go through your orphanage adoption agency and then it's as easy as just saying, Hey, I would like to, I want to like make connection. And they so you have, knew your orphanage adoption agency already. Was that your you yeah asked, yeah yeah? You there's only mom. yeah oh, there's okay. only like four that are I see. Uh, out there. Well, there's probably more, but the main ones are like there's Holt, which is like the main one, and then there's Eastern Social Welfare Society, which is the one that I was from. Mm-hmm. And so I you you contact them, and then they help you fill out paperwork, and that basically just allows them to be able to release your information once they make connection with the parents. And so through that situation that on paper, it should be really easy. But if the biological family has not updated their paperwork, if they haven't gone back to say, hey, I've moved, if they've passed away, for all, there's like so many reasons why they wouldn't be able to make connection that that's usually the reason why that like it doesn't usually happen. Mm-hmm. And then you can also imagine from like your biological, especially the biological mom situation. And usually it's just the biological mom. Usually it's a situation of like rape or like she was a prostitute or it was just an unwed child when she was a teenager. And it, you know, Asian culture, like yeah. Korean, like East Asian culture, especially like blood's so important totally. that it's such a taboo thing to ever have to, face that again and you don't want to tell like if and if she remarried if she like her family's around like you don't want to tell your family that you've got a child that they never knew about that's Hmm. that like that could excommunicate you from Mm -hmm. like the community Mm -hmm. there's just like so much like different trauma and like things that like unwed mothers have to go through out there and can we ask uh why your biological family put you up for adoption yeah so once i found out that we were still that they were still a unit the second letter that my biological father sent me, what, and then you basically, once you make connection, then you send photos and letters. Yeah. It's like very Whoa. like, yeah, yeah, then yeah. you're like pen pals and you're like, oh, I guess. Um, and then you see photos of like what they look like. Wow. And yeah, it was the most incredible thing. Just like seeing yourself for the first time. But That's what they'll, crazy. I know, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Again, I, I talk about it really nonchalantly. Yeah, and totally. The letter basically stated that they were, they had, us went before they were married and then through that situation we were both sick and korea was really poor at that time it was like developing in the mm-hmm. early 80s becoming the country it was going to become later on and i think that they just couldn't afford both of us we were both sick they put him or they put me up for adoption and they kept him and so mm-hmm. that's just the and the more and more that i i kind of dig into it when i go out there it's the same it's like that's basically what happened mm-hmm. yeah i play that game a lot of like i had gotten better first or if He'd gotten mm, better, or wow. if he didn't get better, right. I don't know. Those are some really yeah. complex human thoughts, right there. Yeah, 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 yeah. And then I also have a biological sister too, and so she's three years younger. And so they had her a couple of years later when they were more established. I think my biological father had a more 
stable job. And mm. so they were able to keep her. And then they grew up just without knowing about me. Right. And then I come into their life in 2013. They didn't know about me at all. And so it was also a conversation they had to have with their family to say, hey, wow. I'm still alive. And that's probably something they didn't want to have to do. That's like a really serious thing to yes. have to go through with yeah. your immediate family. I, I can't imagine, yeah, that internal conversation, you know, husband and wife, mm -hmm. we have two sons, we can't afford both. Mm -hmm. And it, and it's not this logistics conversation. Okay, well, mm -hmm. so it's obviously so much deeper and heavier. And, and I mean, you having to receive that information and then you having to think of like all the what ifs from their perspective of like having to decide something that was a part of their body. Yeah, that must have been a crazy thing for them to have to even entertain mm -hmm. that kind of a conversation, let alone execute. Have you had that conversation with them in terms of what they went through through that whole process? I haven't, mainly because I don't think that I would they'd know how to explain it. Mm. And I also don't know the language. And I think mm -hmm. there's a lot of things that they, including my biological brother who wants to explain stuff to me more, but there's just so certain things that they can't explain in the right way. Mm -hmm. They could say it or they could give it to interpreter interpreters and they could maybe say it back to me. Yeah. But I, uh, yeah, definitely yeah. something lost in translation, especially right. with something yeah. so yeah. deep mm -hmm. and, and personal, right? Yeah. 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 Uh, is, uh, your, brother your identical twin or fraternal or from what i understand it's identical we did do a blood test when we we're out there and so as far as i'm aware of like that's what they that's the information that's been given to me mm -hmm. and it was always like kind of funny too because when i did like first met meet him i looked at his identification and said his birthday was june 7th and my birthday is june 5th or at least my american birthday is june 5th mm -hmm. my birthday and, is june 4th even though the story isn't about uh, me <laughs> just wanted to share i think that. that i knew that i actually yeah i knew that we were like similar birthday times there it is but i looked at it i was like oh this is really weird why is your birthday june 7th and mm -hmm. of course the paperwork's just different too mm -hmm. They write down what they can. Technology wasn't good in the 80s. Yeah. And so you only get so much information. Mm, yeah. Dude, that's but, crazy. Yeah, man. But I'm just very happy and grateful that they're still alive and everybody's healthy. Yeah. Everybody seems to be doing okay. And He's got to call you young though, right? So Since you're like <laughs> two days older. You know what I, mean? I think that I... Oh, right, right, right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, so my, yeah, my actual birthday is June 7th. Though. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but yeah, I'm just really happy that everybody's good. What compelled you to document this thing in, in, in a you know series and mm -hmm. a film format and you did a Kickstarter where you raised yeah. money for it? Mm -hmm. Like, you know, for you to even take that step of, I need to find this out, but I want to actually document this mm -hmm. so that, and was that always your intention that I want people to follow my journey and I want to mm -hmm. show people what I'm going through to get there? Yeah. So I think that you guys would maybe relate to this, but we we really all came up together in the YouTube generation. Mm -hmm. Totally. And we really came up right when we we're like, oh, we got to put ourselves online. Like we want people <laughs> to see this stuff. Yeah. And I'd been very loosely involved in the YouTube community before I went out there to do this trip. And I always knew that it was something that I was interested in from the media side because there wasn't a lot of adoptee content out there. 
And I thought that if I had the resources and I thought it'd be kind of fun just to be able to like document my trip. Cause at first it wasn't about meeting my biological family at all. At first it was just going to be me going out to Korea and like a Korean adoptee just experiencing Korean culture for the first time. Oh, dang. And, yeah. Yeah. And so that was basically what it was going to be. I was going to just have one person go out there with me, film a little bit of it. And then it would have just been like a travel vlog. And that would have been your first time to Korea. Uh, my second time. Uh, I got out to Korea when I was 20 but that was purely just like I'm in a brand new world. Yeah. Like, I don't know how to like take this. I just need to like mm -hmm. go out there by myself. I didn't do any really. I didn't like visit anybody at that time. Yeah. And then this time I when we were getting ready to do it, then I started talking to more people and then they encouraged me to do the biological family search as long as I was going out there. And I figured that at least at that point in my life, I wasn't expecting to go out to Korea too often. Uh, it's just traveling to another country in general is just it's expensive. Yeah. You don't expect to do it. And at that time it was like, I might as well just do it if I'm going out there anyway. So I did the search and then they made the discovery. And then again, just as everything that could have gone right, went right with that situation that we made the connection before we were going to go out there anyway, when we were going to start filming that they were open to being filmed and that they were open to meeting me too and just everything that like yeah that's that's out. already yeah. a crazy variable yeah. too yeah. right like it, not like you had already talked about the complexity of like your biological parents having to have that conversation with their yeah. children about like but then being open to like having it documented that's yeah. that's a whole other yeah. level yeah yeah so i just i felt very lucky because of that and trust me i, I went through a lot of internal conflict deciding whether or not it was the right thing to do because I obviously didn't want my first time meeting them to just be on camera and mm. for that to affect my relationship with them. Because right. it deeply could have, the moment they even heard me propose that, they could have been like, oh, no, I'm out. I don't want to meet you anymore. Yeah. And then that could have like really, really affected mm. it. So, mm. uh, and, and actually they didn't, and up until, and I didn't actually make the ask when, uh, before we went out there. So a little bit more about it was that we were in Korea up until I made the connection with them. We were going to film like just me like kind of going through the experience of meeting them, but never the actual meeting and never like anything with, yeah. with them being in it. Yeah. It was just going to be about me going out there and more of the reflection. And there would have been a lot more like post um, coming back from Korea, like, oh, this is how I feel about stuff. Yeah. And then never getting them in it. And then we about halfway through the trip and we were going to go down and like spend some time more directly with uh, my, my biological family. At that point. Uh, we had made a decision internally that it felt like that after I had met them, that maybe they might be open to it. And then I had made the ask to my biological brother and that he understood like what we were trying to do. And that luckily that everybody was comfortable with it. And we, we were able to experience the stuff together and it was okay. But I recognize that even me saying it out loud, it sounds like a real douchey thing to do. And it's, it's, <laughs> it's kind of funny too, because when I was out in Korea, we were there for this conference called the International Korean Adoptee Association, Whoa. where adoptees from all over the world con converge mm -hmm. in Korea mm -hmm. every three years to just be like, Korean adoptees from like Germany, mm -hmm. the Netherlands, Australia, adoptees Whoa. from all over the world. So I was really just going out there to like go experience that. And then it was funny that while I was out there, the the only other group of adoptees that were film, filming themselves were also from LA. Very Hollywood <laughs> thing, like such a douchey Hollywood thing yeah. to be like documenting <laughs> your experience. I'm here for yeah. my content. <laughs> yeah, which I, and I, I totally didn't understand. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So that being said, everything worked out. And that maybe I would be in a different place if it didn't work out. But 
I think I've reconciled those feelings with that my family feels comfortable with it and that we were able to, I think, explore something that not a lot of people have been able to see and that I do think that it's helped. Uh, I've gotten messages from adoptees that have seen it and that's, I think, allowed them to, I think, have conversations with their families and to explore. And that, that so is that, that's gotta made it be worth it. For, yeah, for sure. So that's made it worth it, yeah. yeah. Shadows it every type of douchiness, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, yeah. and I'm also wondering, you know, obviously all of this is personal, but this is like maybe Oh, really yeah, personal. please, please, yeah. Did you like understand right away like when when you kind of like found out that like i had a twin brother we were both sick my parents couldn't afford so they chose me were you like empathetic and understanding right away or did you have you know feelings and I'm, i I can only imagine you yeah, know what yeah. i mean but like feelings like why me is maybe the the first two words that come to my mind you know what i'm saying like what, what was kind of your experience with that yeah and so i think just as an adoptee that sometimes my level of empathy is really bad. And like I, I think that it is connected to me being adopted and there being some kind of arrested development of being able to, there's emotions that I think kids go through. And I'd love to like talk to you guys about this, mm-hmm. that I really think deeply about those first couple of months of life. If you're not with your biological family, especially your biological mom, and you're not getting held and had that like touched i see all my my friends with babies now mm-hmm. and like their their tummy time and the 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 moments they like spend like holding their child i think is so important to a kid's development mm-hmm. so i just wanted to bring that up first and we can go into that a little bit deeper a little bit later but that so my level of empathy i think is connected to maybe that and i've been thinking about it a lot more lately and i think i need to go to therapy for it and uh, really understand that a little bit better but i so which brings me to say that like I don't know. I was okay. I was like, yeah, this is, it's, this is fine. And so yeah, like, I had yeah. a pretty non reaction for something that should have had a bigger reaction. Mm. And uh, it also is tied to, I think just me being comfortable with maybe being an adoptee too. And I'm just like, oh yeah, like I understand like that, that makes sense. That's a, and obviously if, if I had gone through a different experience in my life that maybe I'd feel a lot differently about it. Yeah. Um, so you only know what you know, but I think that, um, I and, and I, also like you said, you, you feel like you got the lucky end in in different ways. Like you had great, did, you yeah. know, mm-hmm. uh, yeah. parents and stuff like that. I can only imagine that if you didn't have, you know, yeah. great uh, adoptive parents, then mm-hmm. the why me is much stronger, much right. bigger, bold. Right. You know, yeah, yeah, exactly. So I, yeah, I didn't really have a reaction to it. I, I kind of just was like, oh, okay, that that makes sense. And then I wanted to know more. I was curious, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. I didn't really, yeah, it didn't affect me too much. Yeah. And that even when I first met them, and this is the thing that I think about, maybe I should have had, again, I'm trying to like process the emotions. It maybe takes me a little bit longer, but even when I first met them, I didn't, I didn't cry. I just like looked at people for a really long time and mm. it really bothered me that I didn't cry. I was mm. just kind of, I was like, oh, like I was just like taking it all in. I was like, I should feel deeply connected to this moment right now do, do you um, often cry at uh i don't know in movies no, I, or in you know re- i you know? don't i i like it really it, it doesn't happen too often so mm-hmm. uh afterwards though i did cry a couple of times i think maybe meeting them afterwards opened up something in, in, into me yeah and then it allowed me to like cry a little bit more after i saw stuff and i became more emotional when i saw like family anything to do with like family in, in disney movies mainly yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, and mowgli <laughs> yeah yeah but yeah, that was basically basically mm. it. But in general, though, I under I kind of just I was I understood. And I was just happy that they were alive. Right. Yeah. Right. 
you know, you mentioned earlier about the difficulties of being able to even have certain conversations because of a language barrier. How have you kind of navigated the, the language barrier side of it? So when I go out there and I spend maybe just like a week with them, I, I immediately go into baby mode because like <laughs> you're basically just when you can't speak each other's language, they're trying to say food, water. And I'm like, food, what? Like I'm basically just <laughs> yeah. repeating what they're yeah, saying. Yeah, yeah. And I feel like such a baby for a little bit. And a funny thing that comes out of that is as soon as the week was over and I, I was around people that spoke English more fluently, I almost felt like that I couldn't speak English fluently because up until <laughs> that moment, I was basically just using really choppy English. Sure. Good. I like. Like stuff uh -huh, like that, yeah. which again, just sounds very funny because it's like you're just learning the language for the first totally. time. You really learn how to pick up on other things in being able to communicate. If you can't mm -hmm. talk, then you have to pick up on other emotions yeah. and you have to, there's other things that become more heightened. And so I, we were able to find our own way of communicating and I really, really enjoyed it. Like me, mm -hmm. like it really, mm -hmm. I felt it deeply when I was out there. Mm -hmm. How was it like when uh, your mom who raised you met your biological mom? Oh, and that was the moment that made me cry. I actually, yeah, that mm -hmm. was, that was a pretty emotional moment seeing them together. And that's pretty special to think about mm -hmm. that they got to meet each other. That, that happened in Korea? It did. So we actually went back in 2016. And at that time, uh, it was a good time for my, my mom to uh, go out there and meet her. So we were able to go out there and my mom was able to meet and then uh, they were able to spend some time together. And uh, yeah, they got to like chat and talk. And yeah, that's it was just a really amazing. beautiful. I already love your mom who raised you. Like, yeah, it was a really that, beautiful yeah. moment. That's yeah. such a, yeah, I don't even know what the words are, but I feel such a deep sense of love already for just yeah. like yeah. hearing, um, you know, what she, what she was willing to, you know, the fact that she's willing to go out there, you know what I mean? You were talking yeah. earlier about, you know, um, some some parents who who raise adoptee children might be turned off by the idea mm -hmm. of you know just thrown out of whack of like oh what 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 does mm -hmm. that mean but for her to want to join you and go yeah. to korea you know what i mean and, and and be able to sit and meet that is a powerful experience yeah yeah and they were very accepting of it and it does become and again just complicated emotions where you have to like navigate things yeah. it, it's kind of funny but uh, just certain things of her having to ask how's your mom or how's your brother doing? And I'm like, oh, that's really weird for you to ask. Like just having to deal with yeah. those complicated things of I know that I've got a, a biological mom, but I've got a mom. And I don't want to have to – like part of me is like I don't want to have to like do that. Let's not, let's not make that a part yeah, of our relationship. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I understand. So that's where like I also have to balance out how deeply I want to get to know my biological mom. Yeah. And whether that is something I'm, I'm like, do I need to – build a, an emotional bond with her how weird is that yeah like those are i and I, yeah i don't know where to where and, to go with that and before that even before uh your mom and you go back out to korea like what was it like coming back and like sharing the information with your mom she was really excited yeah we were able to communicate it pretty well i told her all of the things that i, I felt like that she wanted to know and again some of the like the, the topic of having to discuss whether or not I emotionally want to be tied to my biological mom. That's not a conversation that I think I've had with her. Yeah. And then I'm also kind of trying to avoid because the more and more that I talk about it in that way also feels like that it, it creates a more of a divide between us that she's mm -hmm. not really my mom. Mm -hmm. And so I want to avoid stuff like that at all costs. Cause yeah. that's a weird thing for mm -hmm. me to have to like think about. Yeah. Whoa. Yeah. yeah. 
That one's tough. Yeah, I'm that trying to avoid tough. that yeah, as much yeah, as possible. Got it, got it. So, which is what also, which is weird though, because I know that she's heard me talk about this. Mm-hmm. Maybe she she learns all about this whenever I do these podcasts. <laughs> yeah. She totally That's subscribes yeah. to the kids' yeah. podcast. Yeah. Hey. <laughs> yeah. So, mm. but yeah, just a, that's complicated. Yeah. But yeah. Well, I mean, you know, you've shared so much of your personal story by showing it. You you made this documentary. Uh, so many people have seen it. Um, you know, you put it through the ISA TV channel, you know, and um, I understand, you know, that you finding that uh, side of yourself, you said you were kind of in the early YouTube days. And so you were no stranger to content creation and things like that. But then uh, things like ISA, I feel like has done so much in terms of um, highlighting um, Asian American uh, talent to stories and things like that. Um, Can you talk about how ISA came about and what that was for you and, yeah. and kind of like you kind of stepping into this this producer role and you know there, there's I mean yeah I can imagine your parents look you up and there's like this guy's a celebrity <laughs> you know this guy's out in America you know doing all kinds of cool stuff um so yeah how did that side of you know the, the producer side of you come out and yeah where did that all come from yeah I want to dig into your guys' stories too. I'm very again. <laughs> hey, our, you could ask a lot, lot, lot of yeah, stuff. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, a lot, a lot of stuff gets reflected against mm-hmm. that. Uh, if, if, I'll, I'll say one more thing about the adoptee story, uh, just because I think it's a, a funny anecdote. One of the the first things that we did when I first met them was I was with my biological dad and biological bro- and twin brother, and we were just spending time where they live. They're off the coast of Pusan, and they live on Goju-do, which is an island out there. Super cool that they lived on an island. That's where I was born. And so it was nice being able to explore that with them. Obviously, in the Korean culture, going to Korean spas is very popular. Mm-hmm. And that's just something that, like, just naturally you guys go out and do together. Yeah. And I was always aware that, that was maybe something that my biological family <laughs> would want to go do with yeah. me. Uh-huh. And so they brought it up. They're like, hey, we're going to go to a Korean spa. And I was like, oh, yeah, I don't want to do that. <laughs> that was a little, because that was going to be way too much of them to right. see. Was yeah. it about Jim Jirbong? Jim Jirbong, yeah. Oh, man. It was going to be like way too much of them to see when I first met them. Yeah. And then they're like, no, we got it. We're going to go. And I was like, okay, okay, I'm going to, I'm okay. Let's, let's build, build into the uncomfortable uh-huh. situation. Cause it's just such a natural thing for like just something they do as father and son. Mm-hmm. You just go out and like do it together. Right. So, when we went there, I just thought it was super funny because it was my first time. He's my twin brother. And so I'm like, I just want to see what everything looks like on both of them. <laughs> and see where you want to see where you come from. So See what you're working with. Yeah. So I was like, okay, I guess this is it's a funny thing. Uh-huh. So I went out there. And then we did the the the, the Korean spa together. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, my my biological dad has a really good body, so I was really good. Happy to, <laughs> I was like really happy to see that. Yeah. yeah. Oh, okay. And uh, but yeah, it was just like way too much of them to see for the very first time. Yeah. That's so good. Uh, we've that. gone back twice since I've been there, okay, so now okay. it's the thing that we do together. And I'm like, okay, I guess this is this is okay. Yeah, this is fine. Yeah. That's amazing. Um, Great anecdote. (laughs) (laughs) So back to YouTube. (laughs) Back to YouTube. Yeah. No, but I mean, yeah, like ISA and what you guys have created, it, it, I feel like you are a pillar within the Asian American entertainment scene. We're all pillars. We all started at the same time, which is crazy, just because again, just this weird, 
once in a, a, a lifetime situation where like ABDC and then YouTube and social media was becoming really big and none of these things would have become big alone, but because they all happened at one time, mm-hmm. yeah. then it, it all added to one another because you needed the clips to be able to go viral in order right. for like different things to happen. And Asian Americans really wanted that stuff at that time too, because there was a lack of it. So mm-hmm. it was like such a unique op- like time, 2009, 2010, yeah. uh, to see all of this stuff happen. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think at that time too, uh, even you know the way we started the why we started and how that matures over a period of time mm-hmm. is a very very uh, crazy thing to think about you know what i mean like when we were first starting all that stuff we weren't really carrying like this uh, or consciously carrying this like asian american mm-hmm. flag it wasn't like we were trying to champion something that we didn't even know it existed yet or or the mm-hmm. need right everybody i think was just trying to do themselves just trying to mm-hmm. for once just express themselves like honestly with whatever variables we had at the table right some people have tiktok today back then we had things like youtube or, or abdc mm-hmm. or whatever it was and then it wasn't until somehow the world and through all the variables like maybe we were on some sort of microphone or or pedestal mm-hmm. or whatever in some way that we had an ability to speak to to a, a wider reach or 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 influence you know a younger mind that's when suddenly it's almost like the flag developed and then we mm-hmm. started realizing there was a responsibility on uh, for us to like at least help push the needle mm-hmm. but uh, I feel like people like yourself, you were consciously aware of those things very early. And that, that's why, like Ben said, you made such a, a huge impact and have been a pillar because I feel like you and, and the few others with ISA, you know what I mean? Mm. Which was who at the time? There was like uh, some of the Wong Fu guys. There was some of the... Uh, with, with ISA, yeah. It, that started as the Wong Fu Far East Movement uh, Collective. Yeah. So they they'd started it because it was before Far East blew up and then before the Wong Fu, before YouTube became a thing. Wong Fu Productions was going to just do a film screening, in, I think in San Gabriel. And then it would be it turned in from just the film screening they were like hey far east movement you guys want to perform at the film screening and they were like oh we can make this a much bigger thing and so they were able to like build it up and that's when i think who performed in that one there's this group called tatum jones from back in the day mm-hmm. jennifer chung performed there magnetic north uh, uh sung kong was there i think he was like a guest host and so just a lot of people that were like in the community at that time mm-hmm. wanted to just do this really cool asian american showcase and then they were able to build that and turned into a, a bigger thing the next year because then youtube just got bigger and then the the acts and the people they were able to bring on were like bigger i think the following year they, they brought in kev jumma for the first time and ryan higa and then every year there'd be a new abdc crew that first year <laughs> it was it was quest yeah the first year quest performed and then the next year, I think it was quite, and then after that, Poriotics, and then I, uh, I, I am me, I am me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So like every year, like a new like dance crew would be there to like, I think support. Mm-hmm. And um, uh, it was, yeah, just everybody like grew together. It was a really beautiful thing. Mm-hmm. And it was super organic until it turned in more, more of a thing. We're like, oh, this is now, now everybody's like, this is a thing that we need to pursue. And then. Um, it became an even bigger thing, which was mm-hmm. wonderful because then there were more eyes and more attention on it, and it provided more platforms for everybody around us to, I think, build this into a career. Right, right. Yeah. And you guys are kind of somewhat of an agency now. I mean, people go through the ISA channels to do brand collaborations and you know activations and things like that. Yeah. And so I feel like you kind of were on the the content creator talent side. You know, and then I also want to dig into the music side of things. Yeah. Um, but then you also have a producer hat that you wear. Mm-hmm. So how did that become a thing? I realized that my skill sets were better fit with doing 
the uh, behind the scenes producing. And I was like, that was a skill set that I was building. And I didn't know that I was doing that. I had no idea what a produce, like any of that, that stuff was. And until I started doing it, you're like, oh, okay, this is, I guess, the direction <laughs> that I want to go. Yeah. Yeah. So I just got very lucky with that and we turned and then it became something that I focused more on in the last couple of years mm-hmm. to just do more commercial work, uh, to get more into the side of being able to like manage talent, being able to work with ad agencies and being able to use the the knowledge and the things that I've learned over the last 10 years to help them do better jobs at serving the Asian community. Mm-hmm. And that's actually my, my mission now. And that w- when I think about like my why and what it is that I'm trying to do is that I might not have a big platform personally. I've got enough of a platform, but I, I might not have a big enough platform to be able to like enact change by myself. And that's totally fine. But if I can find deals and money and do things that help support the people around me that I love to help them do stuff that public facing is helping other people, then that's beautiful, mm-hmm. especially in the Asian American community. So mm-hmm. I feel like that's where my skill sets are better better served right now. Mm-hmm. And you're right. And thank you, by the way, because we have participated in such things as well. You, yeah. you know, we've, we've all collaborated in that way, you know, so mm-hmm. whether we were the uh, the vehicle on the front facing, but you were there every step of the way on the mm-hmm. back end in different ways, you yeah. know, so um, it, it is a community, it is a network, and it is uh, really just a pool of people that, again, are, are kind of almost like passing along this flag and keeping it alive mm-hmm. and, and, and keeping our own personal dreams and flags alive, you know what I mean? And still yeah. doing this uh, over a decade later. So that, that is a powerful thing to reflect on. Yeah. Yeah, we are proud of ourselves, right? Hey, yeah, you, I guess you know? we're doing all right. <laughs> we're yeah. all doing all right. <laughs> Just keep on evolving, man. Um, yeah. Do you ever wonder how celebrities order food? Like, is Sarah Paulson a Diet Coke or a regular Coke girl? <laughs> Some peasant Coke? No. Or how does Sofia Vergara order a pizza? No, not, no tomatoes. I cannot eat tomatoes. tomatoes? Yes. Are you killed mushrooms? Not really. Okay. <laughs> if these are the details you need, and I know you do, I have the podcast for you. I'm Jesse Tyler Ferguson, and on my podcast, Dinners on Me, I take some notable friends of mine out to dinners in Los Angeles and New York City. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. That thing was delicious. But I want to tap into the other side, you know, there's the the producer side, but there's the music side. I know you have new music, recent music. When did you start music? How did that become a part of your repertoire? Yeah, I and I love that you're asking about. Thank you for yeah bringing up that because that's the, the other creative side of me that sometimes I have to separate between the professional stuff. Mm-hmm. But the music stuff has been driving my identity and personality for a long time, too. I started doing it in college. I got really lucky that, again, this all just mirrors the ISA stuff, that I was really inspired when I first saw Far East Movement and like Jin the MC and a lot of these Asian American acts back when I was starting to do music uh, because you were looking for stuff that you can identify with. Yeah. And so I found them on MySpace. I started listening. Chops, I went on AsianRaps.com. I was a big fan of like all of the different things that I was seeing. Dumbfound Dead was getting big at that time too. And so I was really inspired by a lot of that. Mm-hmm. And I used music as a way for myself to, I think, talk about the issues going on inside. It was a really good therapy tool. Mm-hmm. And so I was able to start writing and I was a part of a group called After School Special. It was like a rock, uh, rock rap band, kind of like Gym Class Heroes which were popular back in 2008, like around that time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was really into doing music like that. The Far East guys and the Wong Fu guys gave me my platform and allowed me to perform at like the ISA show and allowed me to like build up my name throughout that that whole network. And so I owe 
everything to that community and like and everybody around us too like david Choi was on one of my songs i got to do music with aj Raphael. um i did like a music video with chuck and geo from uh, instant noodles crew yeah, yeah, yeah. Like they were, yeah, they were in yeah, one of my yeah. music videos. Like okay, that was yeah. crazy for me. So again, it just all builds up that all these people that you're surrounded by, like yeah. it just it kind of just helps one another. Mm-hmm. I was doing like YouTube covers with Kathy Wynn, and then um, yeah, we just get. And then after that, I went. I started doing solo stuff in 2013. I put out an album that was actually inspired by meeting my biological family. So that like builds into that. Uh, being able to meet them obviously opened up a lot of feelings inside me. So I wrote some songs about that. And then was able to put out that album uh, called Stuntman back in 2014. I put out a follow-up album in 2017 uh, that was, again, just more songs about things that I was thinking, feeling. And then I recently put out one more album uh, in February. And uh, that album's out right now. It's got Amber Lou from uh, FX. Yeah, I was yeah, like yeah. honored to have yeah. her on a song. I couldn't believe that. Uh, I got Hollis on a song with this artist from, from Seattle that I like am so inspired by. I get to work with Big Banana, who does like production for uh, like Dumb and like mm-hmm. a lot of the, like Korean like pop stars and stuff. So um, yeah, I just got very lucky that I'm able to. I was able to do these things and do it at my own terms. That's I think great. I think lucky on maybe like a first album, sure. But when you're like knocking out your third album, there's like a difference between luck sure, and okay. like <laughs> yeah. you know what yeah. I mean. Like yeah. you stuck with the game, you know yeah. what I mean, yeah. and you kept on trying to mm-hmm. not trying, but like doing what you wanted to do. And I think that's yeah. that's actually something that so many people don't realize uh, sometimes. People mm-hmm. people often look at like you know uh, A to Z and think like I can't, I don't know how to get to Z. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And it's like what's well, easy actually? You just got to go to B, C, D, E, like and just keep going down that line first. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. But like anybody can just keep going and find themselves significantly farther than when they started. Yeah. And, and I think congratulations, man. Like when you, mm-hmm. when you like start naming all these people that you're working with, I'm like, well, you you've been always working with people that were you know mm-hmm. amazing, influential, mm-hmm. impactful, and and more importantly, uh, you had probably actual real connections with them. You have mm-hmm. real relationships mm-hmm. with them. You know what mm-hmm. I'm saying? It's not just the the L.A. industry. Like, hey, I got a yeah. feature on this. It's like, no, mm-hmm. you you know, we're all part of a. I think the the word community is is actually very very uh, yeah. here. You're right. You, the more and more you, time you put in, that uh, stuff eventually does happen, and it's so cool to be able to see a lot of people that were around like get new opportunities and to be doing bigger and better things too. And uh, that's like yeah, just so inspiring to see. Mm-hmm. There's people that like we used to work with in ISA that and like the Wong Fu team to see them on the next level now is incredible. Um, I'm curious about your 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 name, the AKA Dan. Mm-hmm. Kind of know where that comes from, but can you can you um, yeah, just tell us like where does that first time I read it, I thought it was Akaden, but that's Ooh. because I'm an idiot. Wait, what? Is, <laughs> wait, what does Akaden mean? No, I really just read it out as if all six letters were. Oh, like one word. It was <laughs> very, very name, dumb. No, no, no. That's what everybody assumes. Oh, really? Oh, really? Yeah. Well, they're. Yeah, they I'm not an idiot, dude. No, no, no they're they, normal. I'm they, everybody. Are they? Are they say Danaka Dan and? Oh, uh, like, okay. Or they yeah, think yeah. it's Danica, uh, and I'm like, oh, Danica's a nice name. Danica I, Dan for a chick. But they, <laughs> <laughs> I originally didn't mean anything. I just thought it looked interesting. It was a look, look kind of like a palindrome, and and it looked cohesively nice when i spelled it out so it didn't mean anything originally Uh but it did take on more meaning after i got deeper into the adoptee community because aka is a name that a lot of adoptees it's very near and dear to that community's heart because it means also known as and a lot of adoptees consider themselves to be like their korean side their american side Mm -hmm. and so it took on deeper meaning after that and so i really really like that that there's that adoption level of it but then also 
I think that even my my personality, it's the Gemini thing. Like you're two different people sometimes. Gemini's exactly. (laughs) And so sometimes you're yourself, but then like you have this other side to yourself that comes out. My artist self is different than my producer self, my personal side. I can be really quiet sometimes, but then I get really, really extroverted sometimes. So the AKA thing I think really does mean a lot to me. So you got these Dan right. also known as as Dan. But I'm gonna put AKA same in my guy. stuff. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. No, you should. Yeah, it is. Yeah, put that out there. That's really long though. Anthony AKA Anthony is like so long. That but Ant AKA Ant. I like that. That yeah. works. AKA Anthrax. Yeah. <laughs> we need to make that one stick. Yeah. I, mean, I, think, I think some people will still gotta be make a, that a little one sensitive stick. to that one. But yeah. <laughs> but dude, yeah, like I love, I love, um, you know, hearing you talk about just the different layers of uh, your journey, the creative side to the personal, um, you know, identity side for yourself. And then as well as, um, just what you're creating in terms of like your why and like your mission to continue to elevate um, Asian American uh, voices and stories and talent and create opportunities where that can just continue to thrive. So there's so much that you've built for yourself. And yeah, it's like the AKA, it's all one in the same though. It all feeds uh, one purpose. Um, and so, you know, in, in the eyes of Anybody, I would say, would look at you and be like, wow, this guy is successful. This guy is killing it. Um, and I'm sure the concept of success even in your own head probably evolves and, and reiterates. Uh, how would you define success for where you're at right now? So success to me is a very difficult thing to talk about because it's just like what you said. People can look at you and say that, oh, that's successful. I could look at a lot of people around me and go, oh my God, that guy's killing it. But then what they're personally going through is probably uh, maybe what I'm going through too, which is I need to keep on, I need to keep on doing what I'm doing. Um, especially in a world where you eat what you kill and that you're so autonomous to like, we all have small companies and you're in charge of so much responsibility that that becomes a big weight on your mind. And because of the weight, you don't think that you're successful. You just think that you're barely surviving. You're basically just floating to stay above the water. And Preach, bro. <laughs> yeah. And so, but that floating stay above the water is kind of like maybe people see your face and they're like, oh, that person's above the water. That means that they're successful. Hmm. But they don't see the rest of your body below the water that's currently drowning and all the other things that you need to, I think, figure out or that's weighing you down. So that's kind of how I feel about myself is mm. that uh, I acknowledge all the time that I, I live a very lucky, I use the word lucky, but I'm very grateful for the things that have totally. come across me. Yeah. Uh, but a lot of the times I'm just like, oh my God, I don't know what, like, mm. I'm not doing what I need to do. And I, but I always go back to thinking about that one cliche phrase that everybody will always say, which is, just don't pay attention to the people around you that are doing other things. Just focus on what you're doing. Stay true to the path. And that the more and more you can just focus on that. And like everybody around you is going to be doing cool things. Somebody's going to be doing something better than you all the time. But the more and more you can just focus on what it is that you're doing and not have to, I think, be weighed down by the the voices around you. That's the true way that you can become successful and just being able to like just stay straight to whatever it is you're trying to do and the more and more progress you can go down that line it that that's the journey man i love the journey uh everybody's looking for the whatever that thing is right there i'm pointing at the the ceiling or pointing at the star but like yeah it's really the journey just making one small step and every small step 
it, as long as it's a win, like it's a good thing for you to be doing. Like one new thing, like that's great. That that's like that's success. Is one new it. one new small thing. That's all you need. Mm, yes, yeah. that was good. So good. good. So so needed. Yeah. yeah. Well, we want to respect your time, and normally we have a, a lightning round that kind of takes a bit. But I do. oh wait, no, I'll do some lightning round. Are you yeah, sure? Do you yeah. want down for a quick one? Yeah, let's quick do it. Fire? All right, yeah. Go. Some of Ben's lightning rounds are like essay yeah, questions. So I'm gonna, yeah, so I'm gonna ask we, you we won't see how the lightning easy it is. questions. The easy yeah, questions. Yeah, this well, is a part know. of what you will see. Is the usual thing, and you prepared these. I got to do these questions. Yes. Who is your childhood hero? Damn, I'm bad at lightning. <laughs> <laughs> My question. Oh, actually, 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 I'm horrible right, right, right now. So, maybe I'm making this one the fastest fail I've seen in a long time, man. Maybe, oh, right. Usually, all right, here's what happens actually when people start doing lightning round with me. Usually, I'm, I'm so bad. If you were to ask me who my favorite musician is, I probably would blank on that too. Right. I'm not good with lightning rounds. Okay. I, uh, okay. Um, <laughs> when you first saw your biological brother, who did you think yeah. was better looking, yourself or him? Uh, it's like, wait, wait, wait. Uh, all right, all right, fine. Yeah. Never mind. We'll skip that. See? I'm bad at lightning yeah. rounds too. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah I, I don't even know right, what to ask. Give, right, give, give me another one. I'll see if I can What's answer. What's your favorite it. fast food restaurant? Uh, in and out. There you go. Okay. <laughs> Maybe that'll get us started. Right, okay. Yeah. What What is your biggest pet peeve? Uh, flaky people. Nice. What is your biggest fear? Spiders. Ooh. Ooh okay. Least favorite movie you watched in the last couple of years? What was the last Marvel movie? Doctor Strange Multiverse? Is that I didn't the last see one? That. No, I saw No, uh, Thor was technically. I didn't see Thor. Okay. This this is a bad lightning round. <laughs> <laughs> this is my favorite lightning round now. What, okay. I, I think I think you I think we, we got one. Okay. What, what what is your actual yeah. superpower? Uh, uh, producing stuff. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, that one's easy. That yeah. one came out easy. Actually, actually, all right. So what I tell people that want to do lightning rounds with me are like these quick answers, is that I have these answers in my brain. I know what they are, but they usually come about like through conversation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that it will, it would like naturally, when it's a thing of like, oh, answer these questions quickly, I can't do that. But if, if you would ask these questions during our conversation, I probably would have given you good answers. Yeah. <laughs> so like, this happened on a date I recently just had too. They, we just, she was like, all right, name, what's one thing about yourself that you don't want to tell me? And I couldn't answer it. I was like, oh, that's a good question. But I couldn't like answer that question in the moment. But as soon as I got home, I was like, I got like 10 answers for you. Mm. Yeah. I knew that I had an answer. I just didn't get to it. Yeah. Well, <laughs> in, in the lightning round format. <laughs> I think, again, for the sake of time, because we need, yeah. we got to get yeah. to my last question here. Yeah. This let's might do, take, let's this do the last question. Yeah. This might take a bit. <laughs> so Bruce Lee once said, I fear not the man who has practiced 10,000 kicks one time, but I fear the man who has practiced one kick 10,000 times. So what is the thing that you feel like that you've put in all those blood, sweat, and tears hours into for you to have mastered something? I feel in a very good place where I can write and perform and be on stage very comfortably. And I think that that's really the 10,000 hours kind of mentality that the Malcolm Gladwell conversation about putting mm -hmm. in 10,000 hours. Macklemore has a whole song about the 10,000 hours mm -hmm. that the more and more you do something, the better you get. I'm not the best. And I also acknowledge that it, it's a it's taken a long time for me to get here. But now that I'm here, I feel very comfortable with the the art and the thing that I'm able to do. And it's taken and and being able to like still write lyrics. And the more and more you do it, the better you get at it. So I think that's the ten thousand hours thing that I really feel comfortable and very grateful that I'm in a place with my art that I'm like, oh, I can do this. This is 
I can legitimately say that I'm a musician rapper because it took me a long time to say that. I was very, very in the imposter mode for that. Mm. Yeah. Dang, that's that's, a good one. that was a good answer. That's a good one. Well, Dan, thank you for your time, man. Thank you for coming through. <laughs> your story is incredible. It's powerful. I'm I'm sitting here not having experienced at all the life that you've had, but I can sense like, and man, I, I I'm like literally watching a movie, you know, of your life. I mean, well, there's actually a real movie, but I'm saying like what you are creating for not only yourself, but for a community of people out there, for the adoptee community, for Asian Americans, to um, musicians, to producers, like you're doing, you're, there's so many layers about yourself that, um, again, sitting from this side, I see it as success. And, and even by your definition of success, I'm like, dude, I vibe with that. Just that one more thing. Yeah, and super respect you too, you know what I mean? For like what Thank you've you. really done, both the Asian and the adoptee community. That's, that's a powerful mm. thing for, for somebody to be able to, you know, make positive influence and impact on. And for you to also just vulnerably, you know, be honest with us and just like, have really really crazy conversations <laughs> in this little little room right here thank you for sharing your time and your words man it, uh it's, i'm guaranteeing it's already gonna have a lasting impression on us can't wait for uh, all the viewers and listeners to to get what they get from it too because this is an amazing story and you're an amazing person you thank you I mean? no I, I super appreciate that thank you guys for having me on this i i've got so much respect for the both of you guys and, and we, we could just like Go back and forth, throwing roses each other. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah, keep, yeah but, keep going, keep, keep going. going. We have but, many more. But, yeah, <laughs> like you, like you know that, like so much respect for what you guys mm -hmm. have done. Like legends in the community, legends for what you guys have been able to set up for everybody around you. And you guys have obviously brought up the community around you too. So it's all one ecosystem, like you mentioned. And it's the rising waters lift all ships, man. But thank you guys so much for having me on this. This, this is the small win for me today. Mm. This was this is there what makes the go. day for me. Hey, likewise, man. Yeah. Yeah. How can people follow your journey? Where socials, music, let's plug it. F follow on Instagram, Dan, a.k.a. Dan, D-A-N, a.k.a. D-A-N. And then you can find all of the different music and stuff, same same platforms, YouTube, Spotify, same name. And then please watch the documentaries and get involved in the community. Please feel free to hit me up. Any adoptees that have questions, more than happy to answer. Let's get it. Let's get it, dude. Thank you so much, bro. Mm. Folks, thank you for tuning in to another episode. If you are finding this episode by itself, we have a lot of other episodes before this with amazing people just like Dan. Uh, make sure you follow us on socials, Kinja's Podcast Cast with the K. Um, if you really dig in what we're doing, hop onto your podcast platform. Leave us a five-star rating. Write us a review. Let us know what you're digging. Guests that you'd want us to bring on. All that good stuff helps us get visibility on the charts. And I think that's about it. Thank you, y'all. And Kinja Bang, as always. Boom.